This episode is sponsored by Down to Earth Ice Teas. Our functional super teas are made from organic super herbs and adaptogens and contain no sugar, no preservatives, no food colorings, and range from only zero to 10 calories per bottle. Our beverages are USDA organic, kosher, vegan, non-GMO, and keto and paleo friendly. Finally, bottled beverages that you can truly trust. Check out drinkdowntoearth.com and use promo code PODCAST10 for 10% off your first order. Welcome back to the Down to Earth podcast. It's safe to say that we can each become better at maximizing our full potential. Whether it's overcoming fear or pursuing our goals, the relationship we have with ourselves could always use more introspection and self-awareness. Our guest today is Matt Gray, a high-performance coach and owner of The Clarity Track. Matt works with his clients on finding ways to recognize their principles, beliefs, values, and goals so that they can become the best possible version of themselves. Get ready to gain some wisdom and inspiration. Here we go. Welcome to the Down to Earth podcast. We're your hosts, sibling duo, Jonathan and Lorena. In this podcast, we'll be spilling the tea on all things health and wellness related. This podcast is designed to motivate you to take care of your physical, mental, and spiritual health. We'll be bringing on doctors, healers, fitness experts, business leaders, and innovators. Thanks for joining us in our mission of making the world a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Here we go. Hey, Matt, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? We're doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're super excited to be chatting with you and to learn how we could all perform at a higher level. And I'd love to start off by learning a little bit more about your story and what ultimately led you to become a high-performance coach. It is, you know, a tale like many uh, coaches out there of really finding the value of personal development and personal growth in my own life and then really deciding that it was too important to not share and help others with. And really, it started when I was uh, probably in my teens. I come from a family of psychologists. And I guess naturally, I was just very gravitated towards how we function as human beings and how we can improve ourselves and and do better. I sort of have a a mind of an engineer, which I bring to a lot of uh, my coaching process and methodology. But in just easing into some of the basics, I think the first major book I read was The Seven Habits of uh, Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And just to discover this idea that we can be much more than we are by default, that we can be intentional about how we develop ourselves and define ourselves and create ourselves was like a a ground-shaking idea for me. And from that, I've just continually consumed books, podcasts, courses, lectures, articles, uh, everything you can really think of. Uh, I'm now a couple hundred books deep into the personal development world and started to find themes and 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 patterns across this work and, and also found various areas uh, of improvement in the personal development genre and domain in general. And I really thought, you know what, I can bring a unique take to these types of things and uh, spread these messages farther. So that's how I got into it. And from there, I took several courses and ended up getting certified as a high-performance coach under Brennan Burchard's methodology, but also developed my own kind of framework through the Clarity Track. So that's kind of the, in a nutshell. That's awesome. I mean, I think it's super cool that you were always super fascinated by learning about how humans function, how we could all perform at a higher level, and that you really decided to, to take it to the next level and not only learn about it, but to also help others really achieve their ultimate potential, which I think is the quest that we're all on in this life is to figure out how to become the best versions of ourselves. Completely agreed. Now, for those who don't know, what is high-performance coaching and what kind of people could benefit from it? Sure. So there is the definition under the high-performance, certified high-performance coach framework, and then there's sort of how I would define it, I guess. The the real gist of it, though, is that high-performance in general is about holistic approach to performance in life. It's not just productivity or success or certain types of achievement, but it's also about your mental health, your overall enjoyment presence uh, in life. It's about your relationships and how you show up for others. 
So it's not just about what you do and accomplish. It's a lot about how you live and love. And as far as I'm concerned, many people do come to me looking for improvement around their performance, you know, at work, let's say, or or during um, an entrepreneurial quest or something like that. But what I always tell them is that we do not operate in a vacuum. And essentially how we perform at one thing is going to be completely influenced by the ecosystem of our lives and our relationships and our health and things like that. And so high performance is really about performing across a number of important metrics and metrics when you look at overall life and overall wellness. So really just sort of an overall optimization of self and life. I love that because it's really all about that balance and you can't really have one without the other. And I think especially now this past year with COVID, a lot of people realize, you know, you can have all the money in the world, the greatest job, but if you don't have your physical health, your mental health, loved ones, support, you really don't have anything at all. Totally. And I know, you know, I'll talk to some clients that, uh, you know, you sometimes run into somebody who's like a really successful investor or lawyer or something, but their family doesn't like them or, you know, they are a high performing salesperson, but they are addicted to some substance or, you know, they're a heavy drinker or their health is falling apart or they live in stress and anxiety or things like that. And so those are, those are no types of goals to go after just having that sort of uh, siloed success in one area. And it's so important to have, you know, enjoyment of, of life and health in the process. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it really is important to understand that there's a lot of different ways to value wealth, not only financial, not only in terms of being recognized for your accomplishments, but just living a nice, well-balanced life. Now, I feel like we live at a time where there's so much information out there, obviously with social media, so much more information is accessible. You have a lot of people with platforms that put out really great you know, self-help type of, of info for people, but I still find that the majority of people really have a hard time putting that into action. You know, people might go to, let's say, a Tony Robbins summit and feel, you know, all fired up for a few days and excited to get back home and to put these things into action. But then when it really comes to it, they struggle taking that first step into actually bettering themselves and moving towards their goals. So I'd love to know why that is based on the work that you've done with people and how we could sort of try to to change that in ourselves so that we could really move forward in a more productive way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you asked that because what what really inspired me to start, you know, kind of going on my own coaching quest was because of some of the issues that is just out there in, in general in the industry, but also, you know, some of the roadblocks people face. I would say when you mention information and just sort of the abundance of information out there, there's a couple of reasons that it doesn't always translate to actual change for people. And I would say one of the biggest ones is that the information quality in general is either fairly vague or cliched but it's not very specific or tactical. And for every inspiring quote you read on Instagram, there's a whole cohort of people that are doing nothing about it or implementing it in any way, in any tactical way. And so problem number one is just at face value, a lot of the personal development content that's out there is very surface level and it's not really capable of being acted on very easily. And also, problem with that is that a lot of the concepts that you do read out there are highly disintegrated. They're not compatible with each other or they're not built into a system and they're not you know, highly integrated with each other. And so you might hear a philosophy from one person, but it doesn't necessarily clearly tie into the concept or philosophy you hear somewhere else. And in order to create actual change, you have to come at it from a systemic point of view and actually think about how you're going to integrate some idea or some habit or some philosophy and make sure that it fits with every single element of your life and your identity and and other pieces there. And also another piece is that, and this actually goes directly into the definition of the clarity track that I had built out, was that in order to create change and move towards something and step into something, you really do need a high degree of personal clarity and self-awareness for where you are right now. You have to understand all of the different patterns, emotions, thoughts, behaviors, underlying beliefs, all types of conditioning that you receive throughout your life and other things that are going to stand in the way or at least need to be considered when you're trying to make change. And so much of the information out there can only go so far 
to help somebody develop self-awareness. You know, you can read about the best ways to do something all day long, but if you don't understand how it specifically is going to relate to you and what you need to work on or how, you know, overcome to, to make those changes, it's going to be tough. And so that's why there's one way consumption of information is difficult and why coaching can be so valuable. And maybe the last piece I'll say on that is that when you are pursuing some of these changes, one, there isn't enough warning about the obstacles that you're going to face when you pursue certain types of challenges or changes. And I do think it's important to let people know, hey, this is where you want to go, but this, this, and this is going to be a difficulty or an obstacle for you. And, and here's how to get around that. And so those are a few major areas that I think need improvement for people to actually make changes out there. Those are all really great points. And I also think that a lot of times somebody might have a really large goal, but if you break it into smaller goals and just daily changes, small things really do add up over a long period of time. And I think that when you really just make it a little bit more realistic and break it down into smaller goals, that helps make it seem more attainable for most of us. Yeah, completely. Definitely. Another thing that I also feel like is you might feel inspired in a moment, but then directly after that, you might have an encounter with someone, a family member, a friend. And I feel like a lot of times we let other people's opinions sort of get in our own way. So I always say that if you're really trying to make a change or to better yourself or to even figure out what it is that you want in life, it's important to spend alone time and to really connect with yourself so that you could sort of get a little bit more clarity into yourself and figure out what it is that you want and how it is that you can get there. And I just instinctively always felt that, but I'd love to sort of get your take on that. And if you think that sort of removing yourself socially sometimes could help you get a better understanding of what it is that you need in the moment. I think that every environment, whether it's alone environment or it's with friends or family or you know somebody romantically involved or all different sort of testing ground or experimental laboratories to learn about yourself and decide certain things for yourself. I think to your point, alone time and real introspection and inspection and a reflection are so important in a way that you can do without the influence of other people or, or of societal norms or of social media or whatever it is to really go and do the work of understanding yourself, you know, identifying yourself, cultivating mindfulness and real awareness of what you're all about and, and what your tendencies are, et cetera, but also really clearly defining for yourself what your principles, beliefs, values, and goals are without the influence or interaction of other people. I totally agree. And I think that that is so important and necessary, but also we do live in a very interactive world and you can learn a lot through relationships and through interactions, et cetera. And sometimes things that you best laid plans can collide with real life and with real interactions. You realize, oh, this ideal that I'd set up for myself isn't really, it's sort of like um, designing a, a, a whole business concept before actually bringing it to market and testing it all. At some point, you got to see how it actually functions in the real world. And sometimes you make those adaptions. And so both, I think, are really important. And to your point, I think being present when you're with others as well is really valuable because that way you can actually still be introspective and learn about yourself through relationships with others. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know you work with a lot of clients and obviously working with a high performance coach can be really valuable, like we mentioned before, but what are still some of the things that you see a lot of your clients struggle with most? There's certain things that show up again and again, I would say. First, in the two biggest areas that I will I'll bunch up, first of all, is usually there's a lot of work to be done around present clarity, like sort of being clear on who they are and what their tendencies are and where, where some of their beliefs and patterns come from, et cetera, as their default state. And then there's a lot of work to be done around future clarity. What's ideal from a, as I mentioned, uh, I'll mention them a lot, probably the principles, beliefs, values, and goals that are ideal for them and kind of their own personal system. And so those are some of like the, the areas that need work. But the result of, of not having those areas developed tend to be, I see a lot of stress. I see different levels of anxiety or depression or just trending towards those types of emotional states. I see a lot of people just struggling to show up day to day or even moment to moment as their best self which is what, you know, as we mentioned earlier, everybody is really the goal, right? It's to be able to constantly, you know, progress towards that best version of yourself. 
I see people struggle with discipline and actually executing on what they want to do or knowing that they should do. And also I see just sometimes people struggling with the basics around health, things like sleep, things like health and energy, some of the real fundamentals. So there's a lot of different angles that we end up discussing, but a lot of them can be grouped into either kind of confusion or, or ambiguity around where they are currently or where they want to go ultimately. Absolutely. And I think, you know, going back to when you mentioned discipline, I think as a society, we're really used to the instant gratification. And I think it's really important, like you mentioned, to go back to those principles, beliefs, values, and goals, and having those in mind, understanding that you may not reach your goals tomorrow or a week from now, but if that belief system is there, it makes it much more attainable on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Attainable and, and compelling, really. You know, if you have that sort of North Star to move towards, this can be very motivating. For sure. And I also feel like a big thing that we see now with this lack of discipline is a lot of people feel like they have to always get their way, especially with the younger generations. Obviously, you know, with schooling and just things going on, a lot has changed from when we were growing up. And I just feel like a lot of people don't want to feel like they're denying themselves something when in reality, they're actually bettering themselves. So how do you sort of see us reframing discipline into something that's actually really positive. Even if you feel like you're denying yourself something today or struggling in the moment, making a a positive change isn't always pleasurable during the actual process, but reminding yourself that long-term you are bettering yourself. Yeah. I think there's no better way to color this than by invoking the very popular philosophy of uh, Jocko Willink, Navy SEAL and consultant now, who said that discipline equals freedom, which is basically the idea that the things that we're most looking for, pleasure, gratification, freedom, comfort, those things are more and more abundant the more that we strengthen our discipline and honor the work from time to time. Whether it depends what area you want to think about, but you know, if we're looking for health, energy, energy, vitality, etc., things like that, then honoring the workout, the fitness, the hard work, the physical work might be where you focus. There's a lot of desire to be carefree and have freedom over your time and, and sort of not be committed to, to anything in a certain time frame. And in those instances, discipline around your work schedule or discipline around earning your way to financial freedom perhaps is important. But there is this sort of yin and yang of the more discipline you can be in certain areas, the more freedom you'll have in other areas. And it's not always a discipline now, freedom later. Some of it is like extreme discipline of your schedule, you know, having certain, let's say, cornerstone habits, because there's a freedom in sort of avoiding or freeing yourself from that decision process of what am I going to do today? Or what am I, what habits am I going to honor? Or Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. If you just sort of put those those habits, let's say, as pillars in your day, you create a lot of freedom around your your mindset and your peace of mind and the rest of your day and things like that. So that's just even cut throughout your life. If you put discipline in, you can have a lot of freedom outside of that. If that makes sense. A hundred percent. I totally agree with you on that. And I also feel like a really important thing on this just journey of life with us all trying to better ourselves is. Having resilience, I think regardless of who you are and where you come from, you're going to encounter a lot of obstacles on your path to success, whether it be health, business, personal, it's never a straight linear road. And I think having that resilience and that ability to just keep going is super important. And so I'd love to know how we could better implement resilience in our daily lives so that we could better set ourselves up for success. Yeah, that's that's an important question. I would take it from this angle first. I would say... Before resilience, I encourage the development of buoyancy. So first, coming from the angle of resilience sort of indicates a recovery from something difficult or, or, you know, sort of snapping back to where you were. But buoyancy is sort of the concept of, you know, not being too brought down by something in the first place and sort of flexibility or nimbleness around what happens in life in general. And So I would say that's an important place to develop mindset and habits. And then even better than buoyancy would be anti-fragility, which would be the stoic idea of the obstacle is the way or the concept that obstacles make me stronger. This idea of 
deciding whether you're going to be or, or even developing yourself into a fire versus a flame where the flame is put out by a gust of wind, but a fire is actually strengthened by a gust of wind. So if you can really embrace the idea that difficulty and challenge makes you stronger, develops your skill set, teaches you lessons, whatever it is, that's even better. And that helps with buoyancy. And then I would say resiliency is, is kind of almost a last resort. And it's super important to be able to get back on course and know how to rebuild, you know, really turn yourself around from potentially a downward spiral to an upward spiral, which is an area that I've had to do a lot of work in to create a faster turnaround time. But first and foremost, I would say buoyancy and anti-fragility are places you would want to start. And I love thinking about it from that way, You know, not allowing things to affect you as much, having that buoyancy. But that's an area that a lot of people struggle with. I think people, especially now, are, are hypersensitive and really critical of themselves and really quickly point out sort of flaws that they have. Because now with social media and, and seeing all these things that other people have, it's very easy for people to compare themselves. So how do you recommend somebody that you're working with to sort of work on that buoyancy and not allowing things to really get them down? Yeah. I mean, it's it's such a multifaceted approach, but areas to, to focus on, uh, once again, the, the PVBG, principles, values, beliefs, and goals, the, the more rock solid and clear you are on who you are, what matters to you, what's important to you, what journey you're on, what you're working towards, things like that, who you are, what your value value is, and, and other things like this basic self-love and self-compassion, things like that. Those are all going to help weather any major storms that come your way in the first place. And also, you know, being clear about algorithms like OMMS or OMS, obstacles make me stronger. When you really look at things like an opportunity to grow or learn or something like that, that helps sort of alchemize difficult things into useful things. And then I would also say there's a lot of good work to be done around uh, some of the practices included in like cognitive behavioral therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy, which you don't have to necessarily go and do those therapies to benefit from some of the tools, but they're all ideas of sort of challenging thought patterns and thought distortions that can make something difficult much worse. And uh, ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy is a lot around essentially mindfulness, knowing how to deal and diffuse negative emotions in a way that's healthy and then recommitting to meaningful goals and taking action towards those goals. So there are all sort of ways of being a little bit more agile and I would say buoyant through all the difficulties that are guaranteed to come through life time and time again. Absolutely. And I think also having really clear and specific goals in mind really helps. And whether that's journaling about it or having it somewhere that you can always peek back at and realizing that you may not get to where you want to be if you're just in your comfort zone all the time. And then I think facing those challenges makes it much more bearable. Yeah, definitely. If you lose sight of the big picture and where you're headed and why you're doing it all, right? I think it was Nietzsche maybe that said, uh, he who has a why can bear almost any how. That's that, or maybe it was Dostoevsky, I can't remember. But it was you know that idea that if you're clear on what you're headed towards and why you're headed towards it, you know, Victor Frankl said, it can have meaning if it changes you for the better. So if you can reframe whatever these difficulties are into some some useful thing in service of your bigger goals, uh, you're not going to get knocked off track so easily. Absolutely. Now, I do want to talk about identity a bit. Do you think that creating an identity for ourselves kind of helps serve us in terms of trying to reach our goals or can it hold us back? Well, we got to be, I guess, a little clear first that we have created or assumed an identity for ourselves either way. It exists. And inside it contains beliefs about ourselves that, and con- you know, conceptions about ourselves that may serve us or may not. But being unaware of what our current identity is, is a problem. There's not much to gain from that. So getting intentional. I guess first becoming really aware of what your identity is or has been is important. And then getting intentional about your identity and what you want it to be can be a very powerful tool. So I would say it is definitely worthwhile to create the identity for yourself that you would want. But do know that first, there's there's probably an identity you've built you know, that's in place already. And in terms of creating an identity and 
living life with a certain identity, I would say to use the same kind of uh, mentality that you use with anything you adopt, which is that it's best to stick to an idea of strong convictions loosely held or, or, you know, strong identity loosely held. So being open to adjusting it or changing it as time goes on and depending on how it serves you or not. For sure. And I think that a lot of us struggle with trying to be perfect. Obviously, perfectionism is something that a lot of us face on a daily basis. And a lot of times being a perfectionist could hold us back from attaining our full potential, from enjoying life more. And I've heard you talk a lot about confronting being a perfectionist. And so I'd love for you to talk about this a little bit and sort of give us your take on why this is so important. Yeah, this is a very uh, near and dear issue to my heart because it's definitely something that I have dealt with in depth. I would say I'm a recovering perfectionist, but I'm recovering (laughs) from uh, an extreme form of perfectionism. I really... uh, yeah, if you take the the recipe of sort of being a very detailed and analytical person just in general, but then also having really high standards for myself, it can lead to this perfect storm of just perfectionist terror. So I'll say a couple things on it. I would say, first off, it's so important to become aware of perfectionistic tendencies and to reform them if you can, because for most of us, being a perfectionist is a lot more harmful than helpful. And the reasoning, you know, if we're to reverse engineer it a little bit, is that it sets up a paradigm where the outcomes you produce will never be good enough because perfection is an unattainable ideal. It really doesn't exist ever. And since you will never produce that utopian outcome that you conceive of in your mind, then there's really no method to achieve that the really the only outcome that you would accept. And if there's no action you can take to achieve the outcome that you insist on, then you'll inevitably experience a lot of, you're going to run into anxiety and fear and resistance if there's no action you can take to get to the outcome that you're requiring in your mind. And, you know, really anxiety, fear, and resistance will all but guarantee you won't take action. Those are terrible conditions for taking action, especially on something daunting or new. And if you don't take action, then you're pretty much guaranteed to not be or do or create anything of substance. And so if you do have any desire to do or be or create anything of substance, you are going to have to confront your perfectionism in some way or another. And and it is that literal, I would say, for anybody who has aspirations towards something. I couldn't agree with you anymore. I mean, for example, my brother started a company two years ago, and obviously you're going to face failures along the way, but that's almost the beauty of it because that's really where all the growth happens. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, all of the the clarity that you're going to receive reveals itself in momentum. You learn through action. You generate fulfillment and happiness through action and through the journey. And as any entrepreneur knows, the only way to to get on track and create a great offering and a great company is to try things first. And there's no trying things if you're trying to do things perfectly the first time. Right. And I think that also creates that kind of like all or nothing mindset. It's like, oh, well, it's not perfect. So I might as well just not even start. (laughs) Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, how do we best approach this fear? So for example, someone wants to start a company or follow a different career path, how do they approach that fear of the unknown or a possible failure that they'll likely face? It's something we all have to do in different areas and with really all behavioral or emotional patterns, it's helpful to understand a few different pieces to really, really vanquish it. And I would say it's helpful to understand where it came from, what its origin is. It's helpful to understand what triggers it now triggers your fear now. It's helpful to understand what enforces its continuation, sort of. Why do you continue to get fearful um, when you try and approach something new or something like that, which includes how it serves you or how it aims to serve you? Because there's some reason that some part of you is generating this fear and it's trying to do something useful, but it is good to understand what that is. It's helpful to understand what it's costing you, of course, and then ultimately how to change it or replace it. So when you look at how to change it or replace it, I would say the strategy is going to be either to overcome it 
or replace it with something else. And when it comes to overcoming it, there's a couple different aspects to it. So with fear, I mean, first off, with it overcoming anything, it's helpful to reduce its power. So if you can deflate it by challenging your beliefs and assumptions, that is going to be one of the first steps to just getting past anything is reduce its overall power over you. Then it's going to be generating something more powerful than that fear, whether that's important goals, it's some meaning in your life, it's some process that's clear and and tactical and you can take step by step. And so first reducing its power, then generating something more powerful. But what's most important and something that I've thought a lot about in the last year or two is that whether those two work together or not, at the end of the day, you will have to sprint through it. And in the year, really just to like trace it back, since the only real threats to our safety and well-being in this present time in the year 2021 are mainly, mainly except for except for COVID, of course, which is a, a, a rare event in any century, I suppose. But outside of that, most things that are threats to our safety and well-being are mainly contrived in our own minds, things like social fears and fears of judgments, et cetera. And when you observe the feelings and thoughts that do look and feel very real and can feel very big and can feel just like very valid reasons to not do something. And you observe them and you treat them sort of like, well, my favorite metaphor for the Harry Potter fans out there is platform nine and three quarters, like a brick wall that is, if you treat them like it's a brick wall, that it's you know just a non-starter and you know in your heart that it's a facade, you know that it is compelling and real as it seems. The only way is to just sprint directly through it. I think that that is very, very powerful. But you do have to get really clear that it's just a facade that your mind and your body is creating. And once you're clear on that, you don't have to sprint through fear and through the finish line. You just have to really sprint through that first door into that very first action. And this is probably the most important part is that from a small action comes motivation. And most people across the world have this idea wrong and think that the feeling needs to precede the action. But in reality, actions precede feelings. The law of reversibility says you are more likely to act your way into a certain way of feeling than feeling your way into a certain way of acting. Uh, that's the law of reversibility. So from an action comes motivation. From motivation tends to come more action. From that second action, you end up generating momentum. Momentum leads to volume, basically accumulated action. And volume leads to confidence and comfort. And from confidence and comfort comes more action. And, and that cycle just repeats itself and accelerates and enforces itself until you've created a, a beautiful habit or a pattern or a recurring action and you're on your way. But Really, it's those three parts that I would recommend as sort of the, the recipe or strategy people use is A, challenge your beliefs and assumptions about where the fear is even coming from. It's good to understand any predilections or you know precursors to the fear that might be might be triggered from your past or anything like that. Generate something more powerful. Some people call it a hot burning why to, to motivate you. And then at the end of the day, sprint through the brick wall of your first action because action precedes all the feelings that you're looking for to, to create more action. And it goes back to that self-awareness, kind of knowing why you're afraid. And then like, for example, if you want to start a company, but you're scared, maybe just create a name and then you'll get a little bit more motivated with that small actionable step, a little bit more confident, yep. and then just take those little steps to help achieve the larger goal. Yep, totally. You know, the common example you hear a lot is like, if you're trying to build a gym routine, A, Atomic Habits 101, first make, make the... The first step easy and obvious. So perhaps put your gym clothes right next to your bed so that it's super easy to slip into. And from there, like walk out your front door in your gym clothes. That could be step one. Or maybe just go to the gym, step inside the gym, and that's all you're required to do. If you want, you can just leave. But most people, when they do the that thing already, they're going to carry through and keep going with the actual thing they're trying to start. So it's it's those little tiny micro steps. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that when you do start getting into a routine or you feel that you are building some sort of momentum, it does help you also start to build up your confidence, which you know is extremely important. But 
even if you're on the right path, you're going to have your good days, you're going to have your bad days. And the goal, I say, ultimately is to be in a place where your confidence is not affected by a bad day, but so deeply ingrained in you that you're able to ride out the bad days and obviously, you know, be there on the good days. And so I'd love to get your take on how we could do a better job of building up sustained confidence. Obviously, in the moment, if you accomplish something, you're going to feel good about yourself. That's great, but that could fade super, super quickly. And it's much different than building up just like true sustained confidence that's within us long term. Well, we'll put it this way. I would say confidence comes from these two areas. The first one is related to what we just talked about, which is a clarity in your ability to figure things out eventually. And that comes from that volume and experience, which leads to confidence because volume and experience and attempts and some trial and errors is the best way, maybe not the only way, but it's certainly the best way to know that you can do things and figure things out. So you can really start to create a belief that you can figure things out through a little bit of momentum, a little bit of experience and some repeated action. So there's no better way than just practice basically and trying over and over again. So that's a big one. The other big area though is about self-respect and credibility with yourself, which is really how much you're honoring your own values and principles and how much you're living in integrity with your own values and principles. And that also comes down to clarity around what your values and principles are. And if you have a blueprint of what you consider to be important and you know that you're living in line with it, no matter what's going on, that generates a lot of confidence because you sort of have your own measurement system there in place. And you know it's not entirely hard to create confidence when you're measuring yourself against the things you've chosen and selected for yourself. That can create a lot of confidence and self-assuredness. So I'd say it's those two major things. It's sort of living in integrity, the areas that you're clear matter to you. And then being clear about your ability to figure things out eventually, which comes mostly from a lot of volume, sort of accumulated action and experience in which you also build up strengths and learn about your own strengths. I love that you mentioned that because I think that goes back to the idea that it's more so about the journey and the work that you're putting in on a daily basis, as opposed to just measuring yourself on the results, which of course that's the end goal is being able to attain those results, but it's really knowing that you stuck to your convictions and what was important to you and put in that work. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, I mean, any bit of progress, I think a lot of confidence and sort of uh, self-esteem and self-respect just comes from any micro millimeter of progress towards something that you want to progress towards. It doesn't have to be big. doesn't have to be, certainly doesn't have to be reaching the goal, but just moving a little bit towards it is such a generator for additional motivation, confidence. A hundred percent. Now, I think another huge challenge that most people face is procrastination and distraction. And I feel like nowadays we probably have more distractions than ever before in history with social media and all these things that we have access to with just pretty much a click of a button. So I'd love to sort of get some tips on how we could best avoid distraction and combat procrastination. Yeah, that is, those are probably two of the biggest, uh, antagonist that we have these days. I'll say first about procrastination. The main thing to understand about procrastination is that it's simply a mechanism for coping with the anxiety associated with starting or completing any task or project. So knowing that, it really follows that the people that are most vulnerable to procrastination are those who feel the most threatened by either difficulty in starting a project or criticism or failure or the loss of opportunity that could result from committing to a project. But all those are different forms of fear or anxiety and really procrastination. Like I said, it's just that coping mechanism. So this brings us right back to the strategy for overcoming fear. It's really first identifying that that's what the problem is here. And I can relate you know, especially as a perfectionist, your the possibilities for falling short on something or receiving criticism or judgment or failure when your standard is perfection are guaranteed. There's all you're gonna have fears of, of those deficits every time. And so it can show up anywhere. It can show up when you're like writing an important email to somebody and you run into that anxiety associated with you know performing well on that email. And so you Procrastinate, you put it off. But again, 
it goes back to understanding what the fear is, where it's coming from, what you're afraid of, challenging that fear, reducing that fear, deflating it, getting clear on what, why it's important to send that email today in a timely manner right now, whatever, all the reasons it helps or whatever it is. So once again, getting clear in your why, getting clear in your goals, getting clear in your process. And then it's once again, sprinting through the waterfall of fear or the platform nine and three quarters of fear to just take the first step on that thing. Because procrastination really just is a way of avoiding that, that first micro step that we talked about. So it's just taking that micro step on the thing. And then from there, you know, you, you generate, you know, motivation shows up and momentum gets created, et cetera. So I'd say that's how I look at procrastination. Distraction is a major, major, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so present in our lives these days. And really the best ways to, I would say, combat distraction. And I say this as somebody who was diagnosed with ADHD, from two different doctors at two different times in my life when I was younger really emphasis on the hyperactivity of, of when I was younger, more physical hyperactivity later, just in life, in my um, mental, mental faculties. But I had to come up, I've had to come up with a lot of different ways to combat distraction. And so the first and easiest one is to remove distraction, basically. And that comes from the basics of just less stimulus, essentially. Turn off your phone notifications, keep it on silent mode more often, um, uninstall certain apps if you have to, or put your phone away for hours at a time. It's clearing visual spaces. So clearing off your desk, desk and desktop of your computer, figuring out what the game changer, needle mover activities or items are, and sort of deprioritizing other things, kind of fall into 80-20 rule and doing it from that way. So that's a really big piece, just simply reducing distractions and incoming stimulus. And then the other piece that I would say is really important is to develop mindfulness. And meditation is, you know, one of the most helpful practices across everything, right? Distract, you know, focus and, and distraction, but also energy, uh, mental health, et cetera. And the ability to notice and realize when you're being distracted or when something is grabbing your attention or your attention is floating around or thoughts are popping up that are going to get you distracted, distracted is a really, really useful skill to have. And it's really mainly developed by practicing mindfulness. And, um, for those who say, hey, I, I, meditation is really not for me. I'm too distractible. It's like, that's sort of like saying going to the gym isn't for me because that weight is heavy. It's like, that is the point. The point is to practice that skill so that you develop mindfulness through observing the, the patterns of your own mind and then ultimately starting to get some control or awareness over it. So, so I'd say for those two. No, for sure. And I think it really is super important to be present, especially when it comes to procrastination, because a lot of times when we put something off, we end up building it up to be so much bigger than it really is. And so a small task like answering an email could become this huge, stressful thing that we build up in our minds when it really isn't that big of a deal. So I think that when you're present, you sort of understand what something is for what it is rather than, than building it up and hyping it up into something that it really doesn't have to be. Yeah, completely. Now, I want to talk a little bit about comparison because I'm a big believer in that comparison is really the thief of joy and not to shit on social media. Cause I know we've done that a lot. And I think social media can be really great in connecting with others and accessing a lot of information, but it's a place where I think a lot of people compare themselves and it can be hard to motivate yourself to achieve some of these goals that just seem so unattainable. So how do we avoid comparing ourselves to others? I have two takes on comparison. I have sort of a very logical reason on why not to do it. And then there's the wisdom explanation. And I'll, I'll jump ahead for a second to the wisdom explanation because you, you stole the words from my mouth that comparison is the thief of joy, right? Teddy Roosevelt. I think that that's, that's so true. And, and basically, there's your reason right there for, for not comparing in general. I'll give you maybe a different angle that, that you probably haven't heard before that I, that I think is, is a little useful for those out there that are more of the analytical types. And First, there's just the logical reasons why not why it doesn't even make sense to compare yourself against others. First one I think most people know is that, especially on social media, there's a lot of image crafting, right? It's people's you're just comparing your entire game tape to everyone else's highlight reel. And it's not useful and it's not accurate and it's deeply distorted, you know, looking into a funhouse mirror, basically, if you're trying to uh 
to make comparison against what people's other you know lives are actually like. It's just not useful because it's not even accurate in any way. The other thing though is that that I think is so important to realize, and, and this is like a real like zooming out for a second, is that when you actually consider the nature and the nurture that leads each one of us to where we are in life, who we are in life, et cetera, the variables are stunning. And if we were to consider for a second the comparison of, let's say, one 30-year-old to another 30-year-old, the life of every 30-year-old on the planet consists of about 950 million minutes. It's almost a billion moments. So that's almost 1 billion unique variables in the life experience of each person. There's so many different things that can happen in each one of those 1 billion moments to bring someone to maybe the picture you're looking at on Instagram. And it's a billion variable equation to add up to that human being. And that's just the nurture side of things. If you look at the nature side of it, you can go from a thousand different angles, but the average human has about 25,000 genes. About 1% of those vary between each of us, which means that's another 2,500 potential differences in DNA codings that add up to that person. And since they're inherited, they're completely out of that person's control. So just a little basic math for you. If you combine those two and you multiply them, you take two seemingly comparable third-year-olds, a friend of yours or some stranger or whatever, it's about 2.5 trillion variables to separate them from each other, which would be truly insane to even attempt to compare your lives, your looks, your travel plans, your significant other, your wealth, whatever it is. It's so insane to try and compare yourself against them, given the amount of different inputs that brought you to where you are right now. So that's just the deeply logical side of things, I guess. And then just to your point, there's the wisdom explanation, which Comparison to the thief of all joy in Buddhism, you know, Buddha is alleged to have said desire is the root of all suffering. And when desire is described, it's just a discrepancy, essentially, any discrepancy of any type between what you think you have and what you think you want. And comparison, all that is, is identifying discrepancies. You're just manufacturing and generating discrepancies, which may categorize you either up or down. You're either comparing up or you're, or, when you're feeling less than in some way, or you're comparing down, which really bolsters the ego and de- decreases in connection and compassion. So either way, it's pretty lose-lose. Uh, you know, a coach that I used to work with would say, when you compare, you're either one up or one down, but not one of. And it's so harmful. It's, it creates so much suffering in our lives to either be one up or one down of everybody all the time. It's such a such an issue. And so just say the antidote to that is that you should get out of the business of comparing yourself to other people altogether and instead pick values, virtues, processes, goals that you truly want for yourself and measure yourself against those so that you really re- reorient your entire system of measurement to be about how fully and truly you're being the best and most authentic version of yourself and living the way you decide you want to. And Neil Pastrish's book, The Happiness Equation, one of the major secrets to happiness, he says, is do it for you. So basically, do, do what makes you proud. Or, or another way I like to look at it is uh, on social media, especially. If you had zero followers and you were just kind of posting into the wind, what would you post? What, 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 who'd you be? What would you share? And, and just do it for you. And so, again, such a huge part of that that people don't really spend a ton of time. I was getting clear on their principles, beliefs, values, and goals. You need to define it so that you can measure yourself against those things instead of uh, anything else you see anywhere else. I love that. And it's really knowing who you are at the core. And I love that you mentioned, you may think you want whatever it is that you see when you're comparing yourself, let's say to someone of a similar age, whatever, but it may not even be something you want, but you're still comparing yourself because you think that that's what you want in your life. Yeah, totally. And it's it's what you think you have or you don't have versus what you think you want or you need. And both could be wrong. You could be, you might think you want a, you know, amazing relationship with someone and you may not realize you have really better ones than what you're even seeing on social media, for instance. So there's so many assumptions that can go into that and really distort your thinking about what, what you have to be grateful for already. 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Now you've shared so much great wisdom and I'm sure a lot of people would love to work with you. So I'd love to hear more about the clarity track. The clarity track is really my coaching program. And it's just built on the idea that we make the most progress in life by living as our best selves moment to moment. And the path to best self really consists of getting incredibly clear on our default state and then really exceptionally clear on our ideal state. And part of that, as I mentioned, in case it's not obvious, is defining your principles, beliefs, values, and goals. It's defining those. It's discerning your thoughts, feelings, and actions as they are today and as you'd like them to be. And it's developing your mindset, your emotional state, and your habits. And those really can um, basically bridge the gap between where you are now and where you'd like to be. And really only coaching can help you really to collaboratively clarify all 10 of those areas I mentioned there. And it goes back to one of the issues that, or a couple of issues that we we mentioned with just sort of creating change by just kind of consuming information that's out there is that you really need a system to be able to create change. And if the information is vague or it's cliched, it's not very tactical, that's going to be a problem. If the concepts are highly disintegrated, that's an issue. And it's really tough to develop lack of deep self-awareness just totally by yourself. You can just accelerate that process so much if you work with somebody who's trained to, to be able to help you through that and serve as kind of a mirror for you and help you dig a little deeper to identify those probably you know recurring patterns of thoughts and feelings and actions, your underlying beliefs and needs and fears. And so coaching specifically can help you so much with that. And the clarity track is really, really designed around helping you get clear in those different areas so that the change you want to make and the version of yourself that you want to step into actually happens in a swift pace and in a way that sticks, it's sustainable, and uh, that really works as a system that you can live your life around. So that's what the Clary Track is all about. And also mention, you know, as much as it is about one-on-one coaching, uh, I also do try and generate a, a good deal of content just to kind of give free guidance and share any wisdom I have on uh, some of the social channels as well. That's awesome. And I commend you on all your great work. And I agree with you that coaching is super important because, again, a lot of us aren't introspective enough and we're only seeing things from our point of view. But when you get a third party perspective from someone who knows what to look for, it definitely helps out tremendously. And I'm also really curious to know a little bit about your routine, how you start your morning, sort of lifestyle hacks that really help you live optimally. I've got a bunch. And uh, this year was really, really about honoring many of those. routine, really keystone habits. So just to give you a glimpse into what's normal for me, um, when I wake up, the very first thing I do, actually, I guess uh, <laughs> I could get, I get real specific, but one, one piece that I mean, is I think is kind of helpful is that I have a lot of automation in my home. I, I automate all the lights. I have sort of smart lights and smart temperature and things like that. And so even before I wake up, I sleep in, in a, about 67 degree temperature. I have it get warmer through the morning. To kind of bring me out of sleep, I also wake up without an alarm clock and sleep with uh, lights that sort of go from a warmer tone into a brighter daylight tone, so that I wake up often as as sort of mirroring the sunrise to try and uh, help me come out of my natural sleep state and end on a sleep cycle naturally. And from that point, first thing I do is I read a page from the Daily Stoic, uh, which is a really really great book by Ryan Holiday, and sort of breaks Stoicism down into a page per day. It's an excerpt from one of the three major founding Stoics and kind of explains how it relates to your life just to get my mindset right for the day. From there, I'll often read something that's kind of some something personal development related just to you know further create that momentum in my day to go and go and progress and grow. I hop out of bed, I have a green drink, I'll pour myself or actually grab a, I have four Nalgene bottles that I keep in the fridge and I refill each night with 32 ounces. And I try and get through all four of those before the day is done so that I have about 128 ounces of water over the course of the day. From there, I do something that I've I've done now consistently about the last 70 days in a row, which is I have a cold plunge set up in my bathroom that I fill with about something like 20 to 30 pounds of ice each morning. And I submerge for two or three minutes in uh, in a cold plunge. Do some breath work during that, but cold that cold water exposure is incredibly good for your health. But it's also just a great way to shock yourself awake, 
generate some some happy chemicals, some of your neurotransmitters and endorphins throughout the day and kind of take you into a state or at least create a state change that's going to be helpful to, to get going with the day. I then will hop somewhere a little warmer to, to reg- get back to warmth, I guess, and uh, I'll fill out my five-minute journal, which is something you can get online, but it's basically three gratitude prompts, three things that if I were to accomplish that day would make the day great. And then a couple affirmations or, or some mindset work just to set my mindset. And then um, either either before that or right after that, I'll, I'll make a point of meditating from somewhere between 10 to 20 minutes. Sometimes I do guided meditation. I'm a fan of uh, the waking up app. I like Headspace a lot. And I also am certified in transcendental meditation or TM. All of those are, are great. And um, later in the day, at some point, a couple of things I, I make sure to check off every single day are I want to reach out to somebody, a friend or family member, coworker, or something like that, just to foster connection somehow. I want to generate something so that whether that be creating something or sharing something or writing something, and I want to learn something. So I'll, I have a bunch of courses like digital courses and stuff that I, or master classes that I am working through, and I'll make a point to watch at least one class or listen to some instructional podcast per day. And in case you're wondering how the hell I stay on top of that, there's an app called Habit Tracker, which I've fallen in love with, and it lets you set all of your habits on any frequency you want, whether that's for water, I measure four times a day. I drink each one of those bottles for uh, certain projects I have. I want to do at least something once a week. And for many other things, it's once a day and kind of customize it in all different ways. And then it shows you all types of analytics, whether you're on a streak or how many times you've done in the past month or a year, et cetera. And I'm competitive and I kind of like it sort of gamifies it. And so uh, it's really, really great way to track your habits. So a lot there and I do a lot of habits, but to me, All of these things are just sharpening the blade. They all just are basically force multipliers to everything else that I do in life. And so they're absolutely worth doing every single day. And they make me 1% better each day. So those are my major habits. I love that. And it's really, you're holding yourself accountable. And like you mentioned, you're doing it for you. You're not doing it for anyone else. And you know, you're really optimizing the simple things that we all do. We all drink water. We all sleep. The cold water therapy, I think that's a great way to just be resilient in other aspects of your life in general, because you're making yourself uncomfortable first thing in the morning. Yeah, for sure. There's so many good physical elements to it. It helps your immune system, it helps blood flow, it helps your skin. It does a bunch of those things. But to your point, it's a serious win every morning because it gets a little easier, but not much easier. And there's plenty of mornings when I'm just like, I do not want to get transitioned from like warm in bed status to freezing cold water. But when I do it, once again, when we talked about building confidence, it's a win. I, I, I honored a commitment to myself and um, it does build and strengthen just the discipline muscle. Eventually, you just stop having the conversation of yourself. I'm like, am I, am I really going to work my way into this tonight? You just, you're, you're just you're like, I'm getting in. It's, it's something I do every morning. And so it helps build that muscle across other areas of life too. And I also love the way you set it up. I've seen it on your Instagram before. You don't have to drive anywhere to do it. The convenience is right there. So there's really no way out. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It was it was a worthwhile investment for anybody who wants to do it. You can get like an inflatable, basically sitting tub, about 60, 70 bucks on Amazon. You could buy a cooler to s- store about a week's worth of ice for, you know, 100, 150 bucks or something like that. And then you just buy ice each week and some extra work, but it's it adds so much value to my life to do each morning. So I'm loving it. I love it. I need to get back on them. Now, I know we've mentioned a lot of quotes and I do love quotes, but are there any mottos or any specific quote that you really like to live your life by? There's just so many. A couple big ideas that I like a lot, probably above all, know thyself, credited to Socrates. It's like a Delphic maxim, just deep self-awareness, deep exploration of not just who you are. It's it's the entire idea behind the clarity track. It's no, not just what's true about you and inherently real and, and native about you, but also what matters to you and what you want to be, values, principles, et cetera. That's so important. I wear something around my neck that says my own self at my very best all the time, which is actually a motto from a camp I used to go to. But the basically the same idea is arete, which is another Greek idea of, you know, basically something, the arete of something is the highest quality state it can reach. So using arete as a principle for living life means 
that you are focused on the quality of everything you do and experience. It's really just another word for excellence. I, I believe that how you do anything is how you do everything, which or another way of saying it is that everything is a microcosm. This moment, this day, this year, this interaction, that interaction, this project, they're all just microcosms of your life because the other idea is that life is a mosaic. At the end of your life, you'll look back and it just was a collection of minutes and days and hours, et cetera. But how you, your life adds up to what you do and, and how you show up in each one of those small increments. So everything is a microcosm and life is a mosaic. So those are a few just big beliefs I have. If you have time, I'll rattle off a few favorite quotes of mine if, you, if you're interested. <laughs> yeah, all yours. I've got a few. I couldn't decide on just one here, so I'll, I'll tell you a couple. Aristotle said, to avoid criticism, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. William Shakespeare said, the fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. And a similar idea by Andre Gide is, believe those who seek the truth, doubt those who find it. Two quotes by George Bernard Shaw that I love are, life is not about finding yourself, life is about creating yourself. I think that's so important because a lot of people have this idea that their authentic self or who they are or their passion is like a diamond in a mind, in a mind rather, and that they're digging for it and it's, it exists somewhere and they have to find it. But really, they should be thinking about it more like an architect, something that they're creating and building and designing. George Bernard saw, also said, and, and actually, this was, the, this was the quote I was trying to think of the other day when I saw you, Lauren, at, at, the, at the pool, which was that another George Bernard Shaw, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. And that one, uh, it, like, it, it, it almost hits me emotional because there's so many people that have bold visions about what they want to create in the world, what they want to do, the, the, the change they want to impact or what they want to create. And to so many people, it looks unreasonable or it looks strange or it will be, it's breaking from the norm. It's, it's you know, it, it's something like that. But all things that we that have changed the world for the better at some point looked unreasonable and strange. So that one is, is so uh, important. And I'll, I'll say, let's say, I'll blue myself to two more. Um, Jesse Owen said, if it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. And I think that's so important. And Michael Jordan said, don't be afraid to fail, be afraid not to try. I think that's so true. Here's my last one by Les Brown, who said, to achieve something that you have never achieved before, you must become someone that you have never been before. And that is the root of coaching in general. And why I'm so passionate about it is because for all the people that want certain things in life, they're going to have to change themselves to, to get those things. And that's what I want to help people with. So a bunch of quotes out there. There's so many brilliant people out there who have said things so beautifully. So I could go on for days. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing those with us. Those were all really impactful. Yeah, of course. Now, another question we like to ask all of our guests is if you could sit down and have tea with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Ugh, so tough. It's so tough. But I think I'm terrible at limiting things to just one thing. So I'm going to pick three. You can give a few. I'm the same way. I can't just give one answer. So there's no <laughs> limit to how many people you could have tea with. <laughs> okay. I'll have a tea party. There at that tea party, I would have Marcus Aurelius, who I had mentioned earlier, Stoicism. He's really one of the major fathers of it. And he was at a time, the most powerful man in the, in the planet when he was the, the emperor and, and head general in Rome and basically was working on personal development very, very deliberately, given all that power, given all that influence, given it was over 3,000 years, 3, years ago or something like that. He's working on that. So it'd be so fascinating to hear what to learn from him. Change of pace, Conan O'Brien, I would love to sit down with because... He's a Bostonian. I'm from Boston. I think he's one of the funniest people out there. He's got a very quick comedic wit, another great podcast out there. And I would just love to talk comedy with him because I'm a, I'm a real nerd about stand-up comedy and just the process of coming up with funny things. And um, maybe one more is uh, Sam Harris, who's a philosopher and, and neuroscientist. And I think that he, the way that he thinks about consciousness and where we need to go as human beings and as a society and how we need to think about the challenges of the future is so fascinating and very insightful. So those are a few people I would love to just pick their brains and talk about what's next, you know? That's a good crew. Nice eclectic crew. I'm sure that'd be a great conversation. Yeah, it would be interesting, especially with that mix of people, but <laughs> on the left. 
For sure, for sure. Well, for anyone out there who is listening to this that wants to learn more about your work, potentially work with you and get in touch, where are the best places to reach you at? Best places to reach me, you know, if you if you want to initiate work, you're welcome to reach out through any social channel, but you can definitely actually schedule an appointment with me and, and stra- uh, really uh, start a just free strategy call to understand what our coaching engagement would look like, what we could focus on, what kind of what kind of value the Clarity Track co- coaching projects would bring to you, and you can do that at theclaritytrack.com. But in terms of sort of more personal engagement with me, you can find me on Instagram at The Clarity Track. You can find me on Facebook, The Clarity Track. And I uh, aim to provide more of my long-form content on YouTube as well. But for the time being, it's also on Instagram and Facebook uh, in the form of uh, IGTV videos. So find me there if you want daily doses of some of these tips and, and frameworks, et cetera. But certainly feel free to reach out. You can DM me on any of those places if you want to initiate a conversation or you want to learn more about coaching in general. I love discussing this stuff at, at any time for any reason. So I encourage you to go find me, please. Awesome. And you sound so passionate about it. So everyone should definitely reach out to you and check out your social channels. And thank you so much, Matt, for joining us. I know a lot of people are going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So thanks for joining us. We had a great time with you. Thank you so much for having me on and let me uh, get on some of the roles I get on sometimes. I am super passionate about this, but you guys asked amazing questions. And I think like the discussion and the talking points you guys curated here are so dense with important items. I'm excited for anybody who listens to this. So thanks again. Thanks for joining us on our episode with Matt Gray. We learned so many valuable tools on how we can better understand our principles, beliefs, values, and goals so that we can come closer to reaching our goals and optimizing our full potential. We hope you feel inspired and committed to make the necessary changes and get clear on what it is that you really want. Check out Matt's work at the Clarity Track to gain more daily wisdom. As always, feel free to contact us at podcast at drinkdowntoearth.com or get in touch with us on our Instagram at drinkdte. In the meantime, stay healthy and stay hydrated. Cheers. Now it's time for you to go out there and do at least one small thing to better your health today. Always choose to make your life a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Until next time. Cheers to good health.